All right, good morning. You ready to go? We're going to do a, a standalone sermon this morning, not a part of a series. Haven't finished the parables. We're about to transition to the book of Hebrews for a few weeks. Uh, we, we told you a few weeks ago we were getting into a really busy season, and I know Aaron's already, Pastor Aaron's already thanked you this morning for your labor, and to, it took a lot of labor to make that happen. Well done. You guys crushed it, and I know you're, you're tired. You put in a lot, of, a lot of labor this week in the church and out of the church and, and, and in the community this week. We've got, uh, at least for the pastoral staff, we've got three or four weeks here of just ex- exhausting, nonstop go uh, for the month of October. So we really, really need you praying for us and praying for the church family and health and physical strength and, and all the things that uh, we'll, we'll need to get through. Uh, on Wednesday, Pastor Aaron and I will be flying to Mexico for four days of training pastors uh, in, a, in the mountainous region of northern Mexico. We have no idea what we're getting into uh, we've come in by invitation, and somebody says, will you come teach us how to make disciples? Our answer is, there it is. And so we're going to go. We hope it'll be the beginning of, of something very significant that would develop in, in, in 2019. So y'all just pray that God uses us and that the, the hearers are open-minded and, and God's really working on their hearts. And uh, Pastor David will be preaching next Sunday, opening the book of Hebrews with you. And uh, if you haven't heard him or been a part of him leading a service, he'll really engage you and he's a very gifted speaker. And then, uh, then Aaron will be back and then Jeremy and I go to India within 48 hours of coming back from Mexico and uh, you'll understand a little more about what's going on in India by, by the end of this service, certainly. Uh, so th- this morning, I, I want to talk about uh, telling your story because yesterday, uh, uh, Jeremy and Erica, and here at the church, we hosted a My Story workshop. And a My Story workshop is something we do that just helps you learn how to tell your story. And it takes coaching. No one, I think, naturally just, just gets saved and says, wow, let me tell you my story, and it's going to be perfect and beautiful. It takes coaching to be able to know how to tell your story. Uh, people aren't going to give you like six hours to tell your story, so you've got to learn how to, you know, get it, get it concise and, and get to the point and how not to be too distracted with stuff that doesn't matter. Anyway, that's why you need coaching, and uh, that's when we do workshops where you can, you know, write a little paragraph and let's talk it out and, and get your story down to a manageable format that you you can tell it and uh, the reason we're so concerned about being able to tell our stories is because the great commission Jesus great commandment to every one of us was go and make disciples Uh, and I hope you were here to hear uh, Dr. Evans preach this week man he just crushed it didn't he make disciples or take down the sign well I have good news for you we're not going to be taking down our sign so uh, we're just going to keep making disciples. But it was quite a challenging message that he preached. And uh, this was part of one of the things that he said in his message. The go part of the Great Commission means go and tell your story. It means it's not just go with your feet somewhere and stand there and hope people get saved by osmosis somehow. It means go and share verbally your story with someone. And so that's why we coach people to tell their story because telling your story is part of the Great Commission. We tell our story about how we came to faith in Jesus Christ and then when they believe, we baptize them and we disciple them so that they can reproduce other Christians. The modern church has all but stopped reproducing. Listen, not, not all healthy organisms get big, but all healthy organisms reproduce. Does that make sense? And we want to be reproducing in, in our faith 
And the Bible has this principle of like begats like. I mean, a cow reproduces cows, and a lemon tree reproduces lemons, and Christians are supposed to reproduce other Christians, or disciples are supposed to reproduce disciples. And the beginning part of that is go and tell your story of faith. So we're going to coach you up on how to do that. And when we do, we'll give you a simple formula to follow. It starts in your small group, your discipleship group, and these seminars help. But our little formula we teach you is is this. We'll put it up on the screen. Before, how, and after. Uh, You don't need to make it complicated. It's quite simple, actually. Here's Here's who I was before I met Christ. Here's how I came to put my faith in Christ. And here's who I am after I received Jesus Christ. Before, how, and here's the story of transformation. By the way, the more you're in the discipleship process, the easier the how part of your story is to tell. A lot of people struggle at first telling their how. Because what happened is they got saved and then they went to church. And then they came to church, and then they came to church, and then they came to church, and they came to church, and they came to church. And they've been punching that clock for about 30 years, but they can't talk about life transformation. That's, that's a pretty boring after story. I got saved, so now I go to church. The better after story is, I got saved, and here's now how I think differently. Here's how I act differently. Here's how my goals in life have changed. Here's how my mission in life has become Christ's mission. Here's how my heart's changed. My heart was once this way, but now my heart's this way. And a person who's being discipled can talk to you about some transformation. Even we long-time saved people who started the discipleship process late in life, we can still talk about transformation that's happening in in our hearts. So make the formula simple. Keep this in your mind. Don't let it be complicated before, how, and after. Now let me remind you, when you're doing spiritual work, there's three parts involved. The first part is God's part. God is going to do His part to save people. Matter of fact, God's already done His part to save people. Sent His Son to die on the cross that whosoever believes in Him would not perish but have everlasting life. And then He said, okay, now you come back to heaven in bodily form and I'll send God the Holy Spirit to live in the heart of all the believers and to even work among the unsaved people and draw them to Christ. And so that voice you hear inside, that pull you feel inside towards Jesus Christ, that's the Holy Spirit drawing you to God, drawing you to put your faith in Jesus Christ. God is doing His part. Amen? Now I'm very confident that as we coach you up here at Cornerstone, the people of Cornerstone are going to do our part. Our part in the process is telling our story. We're going to do our part. I'm confident you're going to. The only question left on the table is, will our friends do their part? The people we're going to tell our story to, our co-workers, our neighbors, our friends, Some will and some won't, and you can't control that. You let God be God, you do your part, and then let people respond as they will respond as they hear your story about saving faith through Jesus Christ. Now, here's what Paul wrote. He wrote this in Romans 10, one of the verses you know just, you know it, it's part of the Romans Road of Salvation. The other verses, though, we don't talk about as much. So let me, let me build this for just a moment. Romans 10, 13 says, For whosoever calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. And that's a verse we all know. It means if, if you will ask Him to save you, He will 100% definitely save you. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about that. 
God will do his part if you will call upon him in faith to save you. He will not turn you away. He will save you. But look at verse 14. Look what Paul's trying to say here. But how can people call on Jesus if they've not believed? How shall they believe in him whom they've not heard? I mean, how can you believe, put your faith in Jesus Christ if nobody's ever told you about Jesus Christ? I mean, how can you put your, your faith in a God who saves if no saved people ever told you their story? That, that's exactly what Paul's saying. How shall they hear without a preacher? And we're just going to leave that on the screen because I want to talk about that, that word preacher. But what Paul is saying is, how can lost people hear the story unless saved people are willing to tell their story? How can an unsaved person hear about saving grace unless those whose lives have been saved by grace will open their mouth and say, hey, here's how God transformed my life. Uh, Paul makes it very simple. How can those who do not know Christ hear about a Christ who can save them from their sins unless the people who do know Christ are willing to open up their mouth to their co-workers, their classmates, their neighbors, and the people that they're meeting day by day. That's very simple, straightforward. Paul said they can't hear without a preacher. Now, when you see this, you think, pastor, pastor, you know, and so here's the old model. The old model that we used to run here in the South said, let's get a crowd, let's get a crowd. Go, go invite your friends to church, invite people to church, invite people to church. Listen, church is for saved people, just to be honest with you. This is a foreign place for unsaved people. Uh, they don't know the songs of, of, of praise. They don't, they don't know how to pray. They don't know uh, about the gospel. And lost people are welcome here, and they're welcome to come here, and many get saved in an environment like this. But this is not primarily for lost people. This is primarily for saved people. The model of, hey, bring your lost friends to church so the preacher, the preacher can lead them to faith in Christ is a broken non-biblical model the great commission in matthew 28 was given to every believer to go and tell your story go and make disciples we come in here for the team meeting to get encouraged to get in the word of god to sing praises to god to come together to pool our resources like we did in giving a minute ago so that the ministry can go forward and we can reach further for the kingdom of god and then we leave this building to go do the great commission of matthew 28 it's not done in this building it's done outside of this building when you see that word preacher the greek word there is keruso it means to proclaim or to publish. That's not an ordained pastor. Paul's not saying, how can people get saved unless they have an ordained Baptist minister? That's not what that says at all. It says, how can they hear without a proclaimer? How can they hear? Listen, that you can just mark through preacher right there and write your name. How can they hear without a Kayla or a Rhonda or a Mike or a Steve or a Justin? How can they hear without someone willing to share their story? How simple is that? So you're going to be wrestling this morning with the very foundational elements of your, your Christianity because two verses later Paul says this, so then faith comes by, faith comes by in hearing by the word of God. So when you tell your story, your how portion, and you're going to say, here's how I got saved. Christ died for me and I understood that message and I put my faith in him. The Bible says for whosoever, you're sharing the word of God. You're sharing your testimony of faith. And people, when they hear that, faith comes by hearing, not by osmosis. Sitting in a classroom next to unsaved kids will not win them to Christ. 
sitting in a cubicle next to unsaved people will not lead them to Christ. Down there on the floor of the shop, moving in and out among those unsaved people won't lead them to Christ. At some point, some of God's people are going to have to open their mouth and say, Hey, let me buy you a cup of coffee. I want to tell you a story. Now, don't make this weird, y'all. Y'all the ones who make it weird. Don't make it weird. Just quit it. It's this simple. Hey, it's lunchtime. Let's go get a burger. I'm buying. I want to tell you a story. Who's going to say no to that? Who is going to say no to that? Only somebody who doesn't like burgers and stories, which is nobody. I mean, hey, let's get a cup of coffee. I want to tell you a story. I'm buying. Okay. And you sit down and you say, I want to tell you a story. Here's who I was before. Here's how I found Christ, and here's who I'm after. And I just felt compelled to share that with you. I don't know if you've ever done that, but when you get ready, maybe you're ready now. No, you ready? Maybe they are. All they're going to say is, no, not yet. But when you get ready, listen, until then, I'm going to be praying for you, man. You're on my heart. Your family's on my heart. And I just want you to know that. All right, good talk. Let's go back to work. I mean, that's how hard it has to be. Don't make it weird. Don't make it complicated. Just love people and get to know people because faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God, which implies somebody is proclaiming something. If we Now, you got a choice to make. Now, I've lived with Christians all my life, and they do not have the gift of pessimism. I mean, they do not have the gift of optimism. They're very pessimistic, uh, by and large. And we're trying to flip that thing upside down here and pray that we'd be a little more optimistic in our outlook on things and in our, in our attitudes uh, Christians are very uh, prone to complain about our culture is like this and America is like this and things are going to hell in a handbasket and complain and complain about the government, complain about culture and complain about this. Do you really want to change it is my question to you. Do you really want to make a difference or you just enjoy griping about it? Because I think I know the answer and I'm scared. <laughs> uh, but if you really want to make a difference, ladies and gentlemen, you can make a difference in this culture. Because where a group of people decide they're going to tell the story of Jesus Christ, they're going to begin to change. A, you can change a culture at work. You 100% can change a culture at work. You can change a culture in a classroom. You can change a culture in a neighborhood where a group of people will get together and start telling the story of how Jesus Christ saved them. So what I'm asking you this morning, if I want others to believe, I have to tell my story. And I made it personal this morning. If I want others to believe, I want others to believe, so I will tell my story. If you want to make a difference in American culture, you've got to start telling your story. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, my story's not great. We'll get to that, okay? Don't worry about it. Just settle in your heart this morning. I want others to hear about Christ, so I will tell my story. Is that fair? Let's say it together. I I want others... To believe, so I will tell my story. One more time. I want others to believe, so I will tell my story. Now that's how simple this is. Let that get down and become a part of who you are as a believer. Now here's my baggage. I grew up in a Christian environment. You all know that. And because I grew up in a Christian environment, in, in a home of a pastor and around Christians, I have my own unique baggage. And here's my baggage on this issue. My baggage is I feel like my story is boring. Who'd want to hear my story? It's not dramatic. (laughs) There's no drama to my story. 
I'm a little boy. I realize I'm a sinner. I live in a pastor's home, and, and, and I put my faith in Jesus Christ. And, and, and you know what I'm saying? I mean, there's, there's no drama to my story. And so my baggage is I feel like, well, who would want to hear my story because it's not fantastic like somebody else's story? I mean, I've never, I've never worshipped idols. I've never cooked meth. I've never cheered for the Pittsburgh Steelers or the New York Yankees. I haven't done heinous acts that some of you have done. Never worn an Eagles jersey. You know, I've never done any of that. And so I'm just like, you know, I was saved as a little boy out of a Christian home who went to church all, all my life. My story is just a simple faith story. I went to Sunday school. I understood I was a sinner, and I had to do something personally about that. And so I called upon Jesus Christ, and he saved me. And here's the life that he's led me to since, since I have been redeemed. Now, let me pull you into my drama, because I think we all feel to some degree that our story is inferior to the story of somebody else. Is that fair? Because you've heard other people tell their story, and you're like, wow. That's a good story. And I know in our small groups or in like in our workshop, y'all are telling your story. And when even people share in your, in your discipleship group, you're like, man, high five me on that. That's an awesome story, you know? And then you're like, okay, now tell your story. And you're like, I don't have a good story. You know, I just, my story's just kind of, you know? And so because of that, we feel reluctant to tell our story because we feel like we need more drama than we naturally had in our life. But here's, I want to try to encourage you this morning. The before part of your story is merely the starting point. It's the least important part of your story, honestly. It is the how part of your story which contains the gospel of Jesus Christ that can save people. It's not the before that saves somebody anyway. It's the how part of your story that contains the power of God to save people. Paul said it this way in Romans chapter 1 verse number 16. I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Christ. Now when you see the word gospel, gospel is just a, it's a, it's a Greek word. It means good news. So whenever you see gospel or good news, it means, it's a reference to telling the, the good news that Jesus came as a man, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, was buried and rose again, all because God loved you so much to make Jesus Christ your Savior and your substitute, and he purchased your salvation. That's all the word gospel means. It's that little story that I just articulated in two sentences. That is the gospel. That Christ died for your sins, was buried, raised to be your Savior. And He'll give His salvation and His righteousness to anyone who believes on Him. And He will hook you up with a relationship with your Creator, Almighty God. That's the gospel. That's the good news. So now watch this. Paul said, I'm not ashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. The story of Jesus. For that story has the power of salvation in it. To everyone that believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. You think, man, I've got to make this fantastic story so I can just wow people into believing on Jesus. It's not your before story that wows people into believing on Jesus. It's when you tell the story of Jesus that has a power of its own that just pulls people into a relationship with God. The gospel has its own power, not your literary skills. Does that make sense? Uh, don't go out and be bad so that you can be good to have a better story. Paul said, shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? God forbid that we would do that. He said, no, just go with the story as you already have it. So, 
Anyway, that's my baggage, and, and the gospel has its own story. Now, let me give you three observations that I made in preparation. The first observation is this. Our stories are all connected. Our stories. Matter of fact, when you start talking about historical Christians, Paul's, Peter's, Martin Luther's, John Calvin's, Wesley's, Moody's, Finney's, Tories, Whitfield's, when you start talking about Billy Graham's, my mom was saved in the Cotton Bowl, 1950, at a Billy Graham crusade. Her life's forever linked to Billy Graham. Isn't that cool? Our stories are all connected. Let me see if I can illustrate this for you with what I'm about to do. I'd love to tell you Paul's story, and I will in just a minute, but you can't tell Paul's story without telling, Timothy, uh, without telling Stephen's story. Because it was Stephen's story that was so pivotal in Paul coming to know Jesus Christ as his Savior. Now here's Stephen's story. Stephen was just a dude like you who attended church, was faithful, trying to make disciples. And one day he was being accused of something and he said, wow, there's a big crowd here. This is a great moment to tell a story, isn't it? So he started in telling his story and presenting the gospel. He's standing just outside the northeast gate of Jerusalem where we'll go and see Tommy right there where stay stone Stephen. He's standing right outside the gates of Jerusalem, and Paul has whipped a, a, a terrorist movement, has whipped a crowd, a mob, into a frenzy. And when Stephen sees the mob coming out there, he says, this is a great moment to tell the story of Jesus. Look at all these people ready to hear. And so he starts telling the story of Jesus, one of the longest sermons in the Bible, one of the longest storytellings in the Bible. And he, he gets historical. He talks about Jesus Christ. And he said, you need to believe on Jesus Christ. And our fathers crucified him, but he rose again. He's the son of God. And as they're telling the story, Paul says, let's kill him. And so they all take up stones and they start getting ready to throw stones at Stephen and kill him. And a bright light shines in his face. And, and Stephen says, I see heaven open. And I see Jesus standing at the Father's right hand. I'll be home in just a few minutes, it looks like. Bam! The rocks start flying at him, breaking his bones. His skin's bursting open. The blood begins to pour. And Stephen says, God, don't, don't charge these people guilty. They don't understand what's happening right now. They don't understand what's at play. Father, lay not this sin to their charge. And he looks to heaven with a smile on his face and forgiveness on his lips as they pound the life out of his body with large rocks. And the Apostle Paul, his name is Saul in those days, is the terrorist saying, kill him. Paul's the one murdering Stephen in the streets. Well, I want you to know the murder of Stephen never left the conscience of Paul. Even if you've seen some of those, they did a great job with this modern movie on the Apostle Paul that they just did. Uh, coming out of the book of Acts. And in that story, Stephen comes in his dreams at night. You know, yo, yeah, don't, you better know it happened. Uh, and, and the vision of Stephen haunted him. He could never get that peaceful look out of, out of his mind as Stephen forgave him while he was killing him uh, outside the walls of Jerusalem. Stephen's story is forever linked to Paul's story. Now, Paul gets saved a few chapters later in the book of Acts, but later Paul's arrested. In Acts 26, Paul is brought in before the Roman governor, Felix, sitting right there beside Felix on a throne is uh, King Agrippa and his queen, Bernice. They call Paul in at his trial. He comes in with chain, literal chains and shackles, shuffling in. To, you can hear the chains coming across the marble floor. And Paul stands and, and Paul says, with your permission... I will defend myself. And, and uh, the, the Roman governor says permission is granted. 
And Paul says, this is a beautiful time. I mean, how often do you get to tell your story to a king, a queen, and a Roman governor? And so Paul says, let me tell my story right now. And you know what Paul does? He follows a formula in his story. He says, here's who I was before. Here's how I got saved. And here's who I was after. Let me just show it to you in the scripture to reinforce this. Acts 26, verse 4. Here's Paul's before. My life from my youth which was spent from the beginning among my own nation at Jerusalem, all the Jews know. Everybody in this court knows who I was. I grew up right here. Y'all all all know me from my youth. I played quarterback down here at at Keller High School, and I was on the debate team over here. Y'all all all know who I am. I'm a radical, I'm a radical Jew. Uh, I'm super zealous for our religion, verse 9. Indeed, I myself thought that I must do many things contrary to the name of Jesus Christ. Let me just reword this for you. I became a jihadist against Christianity. I was against Jesus and I made it my life's mission to harm Jesus and all of his followers. Verse 10. This I did in Jerusalem and many of the saints I shut up in prison. Having received authority from the chief priests. And when they were put to death, when they said, how do you vote? I cast my vote against them and said, kill them. I'm responsible for the deaths of many, many disciples of Jesus Christ. Verse 11, and I punished them often in every synagogue, and I compelled them to blaspheme. This is what you see going on in the Middle East right now. He's saying, I put a loaded gun to their head, and I said, renounce your faith in Jesus Christ or bang. I put a knife to their throat and said, you will renounce your faith in Jesus Christ and say he's not the Son of God or off with your head. That's what he did. I forced them to blaspheme. And being exceedingly enraged against Christians, I persecuted them even to foreign cities. In other words, I'd go get letters of arrest warrants, and I'd chase them. I'd chase them to foreign cities. When I found them, I'd put them in chains and drag them back to Jerusalem where we would execute them. That's his before. Pretty bad dude. Here's his how. Verse 12, while thus occupied as I journeyed to Damascus with authority and commission, I had arrest warrants in my pockets, what he's saying, to go get any Christians and drag them back and kill them. At midday, O king, along the road I saw a light from heaven brighter than the sun shining around me and those who journeyed with me. When we had all fallen to the ground, I heard a voice speaking to me, saying in the Hebrew language, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And I said, I don't know who you are. Who is this talking to me? Who are you? He said, I am Jesus, whom you are persecuting. Now, Paul had a post-resurrection appearance of Jesus Christ. Now, this is later. Jesus shows up to meet Paul on the road to Damascus because this is a terrorist, a jihadist, going to kill Christians as soon as he can find them. Jesus stops him on the highway, knocks them all down in the middle of the highway, and this piercing intense light shines. And in the Hebrew tongue, God can find you and God knows how to communicate with you. He, He says to Paul, Paul, you're a jerk. And I've been trying to woo you. I've been trying to draw you ever since you killed Stephen. But you're pushing back. You're fighting against the goads of God. I've been trying to prick your conscience, but you're fighting against me. Who are you, Lord? I am Jesus, whom you're persecuting. 
You're trying to kill Christians. You're, trying, you're persecuting me. You're persecuting my family. You're persecuting my mission. You're persecuting my commission. You touch my people. You're persecuting me. And you and I are going to do business right here in the highway. Now, I bet your salvation story don't look like this. All right? I grant you, this is a pretty dramatic how story. And so he believes on Jesus Christ. He, Jesus appeared to him. He'd been telling everybody it's a joke, it's a lie, the resurrection is not true. But it's hard to do when you've met him. And there he is, and, and he's talking to you. And so he, he believes on Jesus. Watch the after story. Watch the after now. <clears throat> Verse 16. Rise and stand on your feet, for I've appeared to you for this purpose, to make you a minister. You're a monster, but I'm going to save you today and make you a minister. You, 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 listen, you're the persecutor of my people, but I'm going to save you today, and I'm going to make you a preacher of the gospel. You're, you're, you're a terrorist, but I'm going to make you someone who testifies of the grace of Jesus Christ. I will deliver you from the Jewish people as well as from the Gentiles to whom I now send you, to the Gentiles. You're going to open their eyes in order to turn them from darkness to light. Europe was not Christian as it is today. They were all idolaters in Europe. The Gentiles were idolaters and they were in darkness and God said, Paul, I'm going to send you to turn them from idolatry and darkness to light, from the power of Satan to God, that they may receive the forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who are sanctified. Here's how we get saved, by faith in Jesus Christ. Do you see that? So the how for all of us is the same, but a pretty dramatic story about a terrorist meeting Jesus, literally, and then becoming a minister of the gospel. Now Paul's howl is very dramatic. Very dramatic. And I want to just say this to you in language we can all understand. When the circumstances are extreme, God rises to the occasion and will deal with you in extreme ways. This guy had to be stopped from killing Christians and God said, I'll just, I'll, everybody just get out the way, I'll go talk to him myself. And Jesus came down and kaboom, boy they had a meeting on the highway. I mean, serious stuff, okay? When the circumstances are extreme, then God reacts with dr very dramatic and extreme uh, intervention. And you say, well, we don't ever see much of this today. No, 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 no. Not living in your little bubble. No. Because you, you live in a Christian country, despite what everybody says, founded by Christians on Christian principles, where Judeo-ethic uh, uh, laws are so ingrained into the fabric of our culture that we believe in freedom of speech and freedom of religion. You can say horrible things about the government, horrible things about anybody, and nobody will do anything to you. You live with such liberty and, and, and such freedom. You live in such protection that, that when we go abroad and try to explain to the rest of the world what your life is like, it blows their mind right off their shoulders. They can't even comprehend what your life must be like. It's so foreign to them. And living in our little protective bubble here where there's Christian radio stations and Bibles everywhere and, and churches on every corner. And, you see, you have pastors. You don't need a vision. You got a Bible in your lap this morning. You got 19 Bible apps on your, on your phone. You got Bible on your computer. You got Bible moving through the airwaves. Just tune it in. There's preaching going all over the TV and all over the community. The gospel's not hard to hear. 
It's not hard to, to find a witness here. So Jesus doesn't have to show up and say, Bam, i got to come and have a meeting with you. He's working through different diverse ways, different methods. Pastor David will preach about those next, next week to you. But where the circumstances are extreme, God will do extreme things. Where the circumstances are kind of docile and safe, well, then God will just he'll send you a witness to tell their story. Getting saved in America is so easy. I mean, really, we're going to have a cup of coffee. You and I are going to sit down. I'm going to tell you my story. And you're going to say, wow, I'm very convicted. I want to believe in Jesus. And you do. And you get up from the uh, latte saved. And then you go get baptized and become, I mean, it's so nobody's threatened you. There's no guns. There's no rocks. There's no, there's no chance. There's no houses being burned down. You, you understand what I'm saying? It's a kind of a very peaceful uh, transaction. Let me back up and link this up now. You can't tell Paul's story without mentioning Stephen's story. Because Jesus gave us a disciple-making model to follow that ensures that all of our lives are connected to somebody else's life. Does that make sense? Your life is connected to somebody else's life already. And if you're discipling somebody, your life is connected to somebody, and your life is connected to somebody, and your life is connected to somebody. You can't tell Paul's story without telling Stephen's story. Let me show you what it looks like in the Bible. You can't, Timothy was a young pastor that Paul was coaching. But you can't tell Timothy's story without first telling his mother Eunice's story because it was Eunice that led Timothy to faith in Christ. And you can't tell Mama Eunice's story without telling Grandma Lois's story because Grandma Lois got saved. Then she led Eunice to Christ and Eunice led her own son Timothy to Christ. That's what it looks like in the New Testament. Their stories are forever linked together. You can't tell Mark's story without telling Peter's story because Peter discipled Mark. You can't tell Peter's story without telling Jesus' story because Jesus is the one that led Peter to Christ. Does that make sense? All of our stories are connected together at Cornerstone. You can't tell Rhonda's story without telling Susan's story. You can't tell Susan's story without telling my story. You can't tell my story without telling my mom Leah's story. Our lives are all connected together. Which is the coolest thing in the world that God would put us in a disciple-making model. We're not saved by angels. We're not saved by uh, uh, appearances like that. We're saved because God connected us together through a disciple-making model where people are sharing their story. And all of our stories are not independent. They are interdependent. They are forever locked together like links in a chain where one story leads to another story leads to another story. And the reason you need to tell your story to someone because somebody needs to say yes to Jesus. And when they do, there's links in the chain that are going to follow those people as well. Let me reverse it though. But there are some people out there in our world, in our workplace, in our neighborhood, in our school, in our community. There are people out there who don't have a story because we've not told our story. How could they have a story? No one has shared with them a story. Let me ask you an assessment question this morning, and don't answer out loud, but just think about this for a few minutes. Who doesn't have a story because they're waiting to hear yours? Who at your place of work, who in your family, who in your school, who in your neighborhood doesn't have a story? Because as of right now, this morning, about to be October of 2018, almost, as of right now, they don't have a story because as of now, you have never shared your story. So how could they have a story? They've never heard the story. 
That's a serious question. <laughs> I wonder, I wonder who is out there that I just pass by them every week of my life. You know, I, I pass them in Chick-fil-A and I pass them on Starbucks and I pass them Kroger's and I pass them, you know, going down 407 and I pass them at the far. I wonder who I'm just passing constantly who doesn't know Christ because I've never shared my story. And they're saying, I don't have a faith story to tell because nobody's ever told me a faith story. You're thinking, I'm not sure anybody wants to hear my story. I'm guaranteeing you somebody wants to hear your story. And your story is going to be a life-changing moment for someone. Because it's not about how lousy your story is. It's about how powerful the gospel of Jesus Christ is. It's only your story that facilitates them believing on Jesus Christ. They're just waiting. How shall they hear without a proclaimer? How shall they hear without a story sharer? That's what Paul's saying. And we are those people that are sharing our story. Here's my second thought that I had. All of our stories intersect at the cross. All of our stories intersect at the cross of Jesus Christ. They're not just connected like links on a chain. They're connected like a highway hitting a roundabout where the roundabout is the cross of Jesus Christ. You see, all of our befores are different. I grew up in a pastor's home. Some of y'all didn't even hear about Jesus until you got to be adults. Some of you grew up above a bar. I mean, I mean, all of our stories are different. And that's okay. What I'm saying is our, our befores are all different, but our hows are all exactly the same. Our befores are all going to be different, and our afters are going to be a little different, but the how is going to be exactly the same through faith in Jesus Christ. Let me, let me read you a couple other stories. I get stories all the time coming in, in and uh, uh, let me read you a couple of them this morning. Watch this pattern now. Before, how, after. This is a young man named Amos. And uh, uh, Amos, Amos can barely read or write. He's what you'd call illiterate. And uh, doesn't slow him down. Here's Amos' story. Before. My name is Amos. I was born in a Muslim family. As a matter of fact, I served as the worship leader in the mosque. So you just ratchet that up a little bit, okay, in your mind. I'm the worship leader in the mosque. I served the mosque very faithfully. I had an extremely close relationship with my mullah. Does everybody know what that is? That's the preacher. That's the boss at the mosque, okay? It's the head dog, the head preacher. At the mosque is called a mullah. He said, I'm the worship leader at the mosque, and my mullah and I are I mean, we're like this, okay? Very close relationship. One day, <clears throat> the mullah and I were alone, and the mullah said to me, Amos, I'm going to share to you now my big secret, but you can't tell anyone because they'll kill us if, if you tell anyone. And Amos said, I'll keep your secret, Mullah. What is your secret? And the Mullah said to Amos, true salvation comes through Jesus alone, not from Muhammad or any other God. Amos says, I begin to question everything in my heart. If Jesus can give me salvation, then why in the world am I a Muslim? Well, I'll tell you why. Because he lives in a you understand what I'm saying? This is going out over the airways. Lives in a community where everyone is. 
You understand the peer pressure and the danger? I just want you to build a picture in your mind right now. He said, uh, then why am I Muslim? I need Jesus in my life, and I need Jesus in my family, so I sought to find the truth about Jesus Christ. But who can I ask? It was too difficult for me to ask because my community is violent against this. Who can I just walk out there and say, hey, is there anybody here who can tell me about salvation through faith in Jesus Christ? You'd be dead before the sun went down, man. Who can I ask? And moreover, if someone knew the answer, who would be willing to share for fear of, of their, own, their own life? This is a trap. This is a setup. This is a, you know, it was too difficult to ask anyone or for anyone to share with me about Christ because of our Muslim community. Moreover, I am the worship leader in the mosque. Some days passed until one day I went to cut timber. As I was cutting timber, a tree fell the wrong way. And it landed on my body and crushed my leg. They carried me to the hospital where I was admitted. The doctor said, there is no chance that you will ever walk again. As I heard the word from the doctor, I was sad and worried about my life. I was worried about my family. I'm the only bread earner and my kids are very young. What will I do? Amos is how. One night while sleeping... A man who claimed to be Jesus Christ appeared in my dream and he said to me, Amos, if you accept me as your personal Savior, I will heal you completely and you will walk again. He said, as soon as that dream was over, I sat right upright in bed and awoke and without any doubt in my heart, I bowed and prayed to Jesus and I said, Jesus, if you will heal me, I'll give you my life and I'll serve you even if my wife forsakes me, even if my family forsakes me. Whoever, it doesn't matter, I will follow you, Jesus. God answered my prayer. He healed my leg. I'm now walking again. I received Christ and believed on him as my personal Savior since 2009. By seeing the miracle, even my wife decided to receive Christ and follow him. In the next year, 2010, my whole family accepted Christ. On July 18th of 2010, my wife and I took water baptism publicly. And don't you think that's not a big deal? I took, we took water baptism publicly. I thank God for saving my life and for saving the rest of my family. I'm not very educated, but God is leading me as I yield my life to him. It's a pretty cool how. Amos is after. I started working as an evangelist among the Muslims and the Hindus in the year 2016. I met Grace Ministry Pastor Aaron Jameer. Uh, when you hear the word Grace Ministry, those are all of our disciples in Asia. They call all of their works Grace something, okay? That's Ezekiel and all of his disciples, okay? I met Pastor Aaron. I started working with Aaron as a Grace Ministry evangelist until today. I learned more about discipleship through Grace Church Ministry. My goal is to make disciples through evangelism and to plant disciple-making churches in Asia. It's my humble request to kindly remember me that I'll get wisdom and that I'll get strength to teach my members so that we can be disciples who make disciples. Does that language sound familiar to anybody in this room? That is the thumbprint of Cornerstone. That is another link in the chain. That is your disciple making disciples who are making disciples 
who are reaching to the furthest corners of planet Earth right now, and they're saying, if you sent me a discipleship book, I couldn't read it, but thank God I've got a discipleship pastor who meets with me every week for years, and he's teaching me how to make disciples, and we're going to make more disciples who know how to make more disciples. These guys are writing me things like, I've now read the Bible through 15 times, or <laughs> someone's reading it to me. Just crazy stuff. Let me tell you Samuel. Samuel's a different fellow. He's a little younger. Anybody here born in 1995? Okay, I can talk to you for a minute. My name is Samuel. I was born July 20th. You weren't born July 20th, were you? July 20th, 1995, okay? Samuel's your age. I'm from South India. I was brought up in a family who taught me the Bible. I'm brought up in a Christian family surrounded by Hindus in southern India. By the grace of God and by the love of my parents, I was given everything that I needed. Even though I'm at the top of my class rank. Now, rank in Asia is everything. It is everything. I'm at the top of my rank at class 10. What would he be, 16 years old uh, when I was about 16? Anybody 10th grade? How old are you? Huh? 15? So he's 15 or 16 years old. They call it 10th standard. I'm the top of my class in class 10, but even though I'm the top of my class, I have extreme fear and inferiority complex that I deal with. When it came to the end of the year, I bombed the final exam, and when I did, I completely lost my rank. The next day, so many false rumors went all over the school about why I bombed the exam and what must be bad in my life and this and that. All the teachers and all the stu students scolded me and mocked me, and as a result, I went into a deep depression my situation was so hopeless that I could not think about even living. All I could think was to commit suicide and end my life. Just imagine the pressure to perform in their society being that severe. Here's Samuel's how. I went to the Godavari River Bridge on November, 20, uh, November 26. Godavari River looks like the Mississippi times three or four. Uh, not, this is not a little creek. This is a massive body of water with a bridge that has got a train going here and cars going here. And he said, I climbed the Godavari River Bridge November 26, 2011. All I could think is I'll end my life. At that moment, I little did I know my parents were at home fasting and praying for me to be saved and called by God for his mission. But I climbed the railing of the bridge... And I'm ready to leap to my death when a voice calls out to me, Samuel, do not jump. And strong hands grabbed me and pulled me down from the railing and back down onto the sidewalk, onto the paved part of the bridge. He said, I turned, but there is no one there. I thought, I'm losing my mind. He said, I climbed the rail for a second attempt to jump. And a voice said to me, Samuel, do not jump. And I could feel strong hands reach up and take me and pull me down off of the rail. I turned around and there is no one standing on the bridge but me. Suddenly, my heart was filled with the realization of God's love. God would not let me take my life. I came home as quickly as possible where God saved me physically and later spiritually. 
He rescued my life and gave hope to my life when I was completely hopeless. When I reached home, my dad shared the gospel and led me to put my faith in Jesus Christ. I received Christ November 26th, the next day, 2011. Samuel's after. The everlasting love of God has changed my heart. Before I was saved, I had a selfish heart. I never wanted to give anything to anyone. I only wanted to take and to hold on to everything. But now I can say that I am ready to lose anything to gain one soul for Jesus Christ. I'm growing deeper in my relationship with God. I went to seminary in Kerala State for two and a half years. But there I was never taught anything concrete about discipleship. I joined another training institute in Delhi to be trained as a preacher. But they never trained me anything about discipleship. After my training in Delhi, I met Pastor Ezekiel. Pastor Ezekiel said, why don't you just come home with me and live with me for the next month? So I moved in with Pastor Ezekiel. And this is how I came to learn and to understand about discipleship. What he was modeling was so very different from my seminary syllabus. He cooked for me. He took me to small group meetings. He asked me to mark my Bible when I read it. He asked me to memorize scripture. He asked me to meditate upon what I was reading. And then he took me out to the slum ministry where he taught me what it meant to serve others. Does any of that sound familiar to anybody at Cornerstone Baptist Church? While all of these men have dramatic stories, most Christians don't. Now listen to what I'm saying. Now these guys have fantastic stories. You say why? Because they live in fantastic circumstances. Surrounded a billion to none against all odds in life and death moments and God is doing crazy, amazing, miraculous things to intervene in their lives. You ask, why don't we see miracles? Oh, we do, just not here. Because you got a doctor's office every three blocks and you've got insurance. And you, you know what I'm saying? You say, why don't we see visions? Because you've got a Bible in a church and a small group and, and a, a bookstores that you don't need that. But where the circumstances are extreme, God's doing, rises to the occasion and does some extreme, extreme intervention in, in the lives of people. These guys have dramatic stories. Most Christians don't. Because leading people to faith in Christ is not about how dramatic your story is. It's only that you're willing to tell it. And to tell it with love and compassion. It's not about how drama-filled it is. It's not about how fantastic. It's just, are you willing to tell it? It is the Holy Spirit of God that does the work of conversion, not the fantastic elements in your story. Although you love hearing fantastic stories just like I do, because it does our heart good to see, because that's unusual for us to hear about. I want you to know, when you're trying to lead your neighbor to Christ, you don't have to say, I heard a vision, I, I, I saw an angel. You don't have to say any of that, because it's not true about you. You just tell your simple story, and the Holy Spirit does the work of conversion, which leads me to my last thought. It is the how that saves us. We're all hung up here in America on telling a great before story. 
I was an axe murderer and I was a chainsaw massacre. That was me before I met Christ. The ma- everything, that was, we want this dramatic before story, but the before portion doesn't matter that much in the whole telling of the story. It's significant, but not that significant as maybe you think it is. The before is really inconsequential. It's the how. Listen, if the how is the gospel of Jesus Christ, then the after is always going to be a new life in Jesus Christ. The befores of, of, of little consequence in that. Matter of fact, we're so hung up on having an awesome before story that sometimes we even wish we had a different before story. People who were raised in church and got saved as kids say, man, I wish I had cooked meth somewhere so I'd have a better story to tell. Wish I had beat my wife or something so I'd have a better story to tell. Listen, no, you don't. Don't. Because the fact that God brought you up in an environment of grace and you learned early about grace means you have your whole life to serve him. Whereas some people who've had only but tragedy for 20 or 30 years only have about a half a life and a bad liver to give to Jesus. You see what I'm saying? And you've got a better story, truly, than, than that. Don't, don't get all hung up in... The, see, the before is the least critical part of the story if the how is through the sacrifice of jesus christ and through christ's resurrection from the dead then the after is that we're redeemed forgiven sanctified justified forgiven if the how is the grace of god comes to meet us through jesus christ sacrifice on the cross then the the after story is that we've been proclaimed righteous by our creator that's what we talked about a few weeks ago. He's looked at us and I'll just give you the righteousness of Jesus Christ and I'll proclaim you acquitted of all of your sins and I'll only see the righteousness of Jesus Christ. You see, if the before mattered to God, then God would be showing partiality. If your before mattered, then God would only be extending grace to those who were the most deserving of it. And that wouldn't be fair to, to everyone equally. That would make God prejudiced only to those most worthy of His love. And the truth is, all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And none of us are worthy of His love. And I I just want you to just rejoice this morning that whether your before is like my before, you grew up in church, or your before is some heinous acts that you committed before you met Christ, really doesn't matter because the Bible says in Hebrews 7.25 that Jesus is able to save to the uttermost all those who come to God through Christ Jesus. Doesn't matter. Little sin, big sin, all the same to God. He's concluded us all guilty, put us all in one lump sum and said, your howl's all going to be the same. You're all going to come through the cross of Christ or you're not going to come any way at all. By works of righteousness shall no flesh be justified in His sight. It's all going to be of faith in Jesus Christ. And if that's true, if you come that way, then your after story is always going to be forgiven, justified, transformed a completely new creature 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 creation in christ jesus you're going to be a different person than you used to be heads are bowed and eyes are closed let's make a decision now let me just pray with you for a moment and guide you let could we start right here how many of you just lift a hand and say pastor i'm saved I, I i clearly can just say i'm saved i've been born again awesome awesome put them down now Go in your mind back to the person who shared their story of faith. Who led you to Christ? Who led you to Christ? 
You got their picture in your mind right now? Your life is forever linked to them. Your life is forever linked to them in some wonderful spiritual way. Why don't you take a moment right now and thank God for them? Why don't you just take a moment right now and pray for them? Whether it was a mom who knelt beside a bed with you and prayed, or a pastor, or a youth director, or a father, or a coach, or a classmate. How long has it been since you just said, God, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you for putting an awesome storyteller in my life who shared the gospel. And I remember the day I got saved. Thank you for bringing this person into my life. Now, as you're praying, there are people out there waiting to hear your story. There are people who still don't have a story because they've not heard our story. What I'm going to ask you to do this morning is I'm going to ask every disciple and every disciple maker here in this room, would you just get down on your knees or right there at your seat, however you want to do it, and just pour out your heart to God for a minute this morning and say, God, with your help, I'm going to tell my story. I'm going to tell my story about who I was and how you saved me and who I am. And God, I'm going to keep telling it and I'm going to keep telling it and I'm going to keep telling it until people believe. And God, I'm going to keep telling it all the days of my life and I'm never going to stop telling my story of how you saved me from where I was and how you brought me to a transformed life. God, my covenant with you this morning is I'm going to keep telling my story. You told me, go and make disciples. God, my covenant with you is if you'll help me, God, I'm going to tell my story of faith. Listen, maybe you've come into the house of God this morning. You don't have a story of faith. If somebody handed you a microphone right now and said, tell us your story, you'd say, uh, uh, I don't have a story. You can leave here with one. Your before could be up till 1230 on Sunday, September 30th, 2018. Here's who I was. And at 1231, I found Jesus Christ at Cornerstone Baptist Church. All you have to do now is put your faith in the Son of God who died and rose again to be your Savior. Listen, if you've never done that, do it right now. Do it right now. I'll, I'll pray with you, but you've got to have the courage to do it. Pray like this. Say, dear God, I pray to you right now. And I confess to you that I'm a sinner. And I need a Savior. And Jesus, I know you are the Savior. The Son of God. The Savior of the world. I believe you died and rose again to be my Savior. You took my place on the cross. You paid for my salvation. And this morning I want to put my faith in you. So let me begin here. I ask you, Jesus, to forgive me of my sins. Wash me. Cleanse me. I open my heart and I accept your forgiveness. Let it flood over my life right now and wash me clean. Lord Jesus, I open my heart and my life to you. And I accept you as my Lord and my Savior this morning. Lord, I'm willing to turn my back on my sin and live my life for you for the rest of my days. 
with you as Lord and Savior of my life. Lord, thank you for loving me. And thank you for saving me. Lord, give me the courage now to be baptized and be discipled. This is my prayer. In Jesus' name. There may be some here this morning as we had in early services that need to join this church. Pastor Aaron's right here. Miss Ashley's right here. I want you to slip out of your seat and say, that's me. I need to be a member of this church. You may need to schedule your baptism. Listen, you may need somebody to pray with. You make a move. we got people here who'd love to pray with you this morning. Why don't we all rededicate our lives just to simply telling our story. Let's stand together. If you need to make any decision, you come see Pastor Aaron right now very quickly. I know God's stirring your hearts this morning. It's been a very uh, spiritual week where God's really been dealing with a lot of hearts around here. Don't make it complicated. Don't make it weird. Don't make it hard. Hi, my name's Bobby. Garrett, I've noticed you around here. Hey, you like enchiladas? No? Brisket? No? You're definitely not safe. Uh, you know, let's go get a bite to eat, man. I want to tell you a story. That's how hard it has to be, right there. Okay, I'll catch you next time then, okay? All right. And next time, hey, I got a story I want to tell you. Let's go get a cup of coffee. Eventually, he's going to let me buy him something, and we're going to go have a few minutes together, and I'm going to say, listen, I just want you to know, I know I'm not perfect, but you should have seen who, who I was before. And I met Jesus, and here's how he saved me. And listen, and here's how he's changed my life. And Garrett, I want that for you. You simple story is all it takes. Now here's what